Our reading today is from Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. If we haven't met this morning, um, my name is Joel Fair, and it's good to be together this morning. One of the things that um, you may not know if you're new here is that we've been doing this together for a long time, and it's the grace and kindness of God that we would get to continue in the proclamation of his word together that we would go and, and plant churches together, that we would um, rejoice in the good news of Jesus. And we've already celebrated that this morning, and we can kind of get into this routine where we sing some songs and we hear a prayer confession, but man, I pray that it's, it's really working in our hearts this morning, that we would see our God, we'd see his kindness. And as we open the scripture this morning, that it would begin to change even some of the ways that we've thought about who he is. And so... This morning, we get to do that together. I have the privilege of being the uh, plant pastor in Cape Canaveral. And um, just so you know, there's a body of people there that worship with you guys every week. And we get to praise and lift up the name of Jesus. And, and we're praying for you just as you pray for us. And we get to do that together. And I know that that is a gift of grace this morning. And so, welcome this morning. It's good. Um, to see who God is. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we are in the book of Mark still. Like we've been in the book of Mark maybe since some of you showed up. And if you've been here uh, about a year and a half, we've been going through the gospel of Mark and it's been sweet. We have seen the person and work of Jesus Christ. But sometimes what we forget is maybe those first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes onto the scene And we see that he announces, makes an announcement and a proclamation of who he is. Chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. His first words. And so then you would think that uh, maybe throughout the story that would change. But the reality is that that is the same thing that he continues to say over and over, that the kingdom of God is here, and our response then should be repentance and belief. And so I want you to hold that this morning. I want you to hold that in your heart as we look at God's word, that the kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus. We are called to repent and believe, to believe all of this is true, to rest in it, and to rejoice in it. What we've seen in our time in Mark is that this kingdom of God is not what the people were expecting, right? 
You've seen the responses of people. They've looked forward to a Messiah, and now he's showing up, and he's coming in a way that they were not expecting, in a way that they were not anticipating, and actually in a way that some of them don't want. And so they end up rejecting Jesus. But some of them initially reject him, and then as they see his character shine through, as they see the works that he would do, the power of God displayed in his life, they begin to believe. And then for some of the disciples, they, they Im- immediately latch on and they chase after Jesus, not knowing what they're getting into. And yet he's patient and kind and continues to teach them, what does it look like that the kingdom of God is here? And so they begin to trust more and more. This morning we have a story of a scribe. It's someone who would study the law, someone who would know the, the scriptures. And so he comes and he asks a question of Jesus. And the question that he asks is important. We need to hear it today. We need to hear how he would respond to the question of what is the greatest commandment. But what we really need to see is not his question, but who Jesus is. Because what we'll do with a, with a, a verse, a passage like this, is we will begin to make it what we need to do how we can be better people, how we can be better Christians. And the reality is that this passage is not about us. It is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and who he is. It's a commandment to follow him and to do these things, but not of our own strength, but because of the one who has done it for us. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, in Colossians 1.19, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This morning we're going to talk about love, we're going to talk about following, we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple, but when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of the living God, all of scripture is fulfilled in who Jesus was, and so I pray that today we would see him, our hearts would be changed, and we would love him. Will you pray with me? God, we need you today, even as Mark has already prayed, to open eyes and open ears and soften hearts. God, I pray against our tendency as people to try to fix ourselves or try to operate out of our flesh. And so, Lord, I pray that today your spirit would lead us. Your spirit would open our eyes to the beauty of your word. And as we see the power of Jesus Christ, we would remember that it is not a once a year celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, but it is a daily walking in the knowledge and belief and faith that you are risen, that you are powerful, that you are mighty to save. God, and you are working righteousness in your people. So, Lord, would you help us to believe that today, to rest in that? Not so that people would say those, those folks at Cross Point Coast are great people, but that they would say they have an incredible Savior. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We are in uh, the third of three questions being asked of Jesus by the religious leaders. And um, just so we don't, 
get our lines crossed here, the scribes are not necessarily a, a party like the previous ones, the previous leaders were. You had the, the Pharisees and the Herodians in, in the beginning, and then you had the Sadducees last week, and then this week we have the scribes. A scribe is simply someone who is intent on learning and understanding and interpreting the law. So they could have different parties that they would be uh, part of. So this man, we don't know much about him, but he comes and he's asking Jesus the question. And he, so jump with me in 28, and it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? This scribe sees in Jesus an understanding of the law, the ability to teach the law, the ability to explain it, And if he's heard any of the stories about Jesus, he also knows that this Jesus walks in it. It's not simply talk, but he walks in it. And so the scribe asks this Jesus, this great teacher, the one who he would acknowledge as a good teacher, the question, and it's an important question. The question is this. As someone who who says that the law is the most important thing in his life, he's devoted his life to it, he would ask, well, what is the greatest commandment of that law? And there's only one commandment that Jesus gives, and he has a follow-up, but the first commandment is what the scribe would know. He would know that the, the Shema, the prayer that he would pray at the beginning of every day and at the closing of every evening, and so Jesus comes and responds to his question with what he already knows. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the message of scripture, all of scripture, that there is one God. He has three parts, but he is one God. And that one God requires from his people One solitary love, affection, desire. It's for himself. That makes him unique. You see, in the midst of uh, all the world, the Jewish people cling to one God, Yahweh. While all around there, there are other gods that people are believing in. Some people would say that you can have as many gods as you want, please them all. And yet, our God, their God, demands that they love him and him alone with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, they would practice remembering that. They would say it in the morning, and they would say it at night before they go to bed. One of the things that we do is we gather on Sunday mornings. Why do we gather? We gather to remember this same truth. That our God is one, that he is holy, that he is merciful and mighty and miraculous. We need these reminders. And so the scribe reminds himself often. There is one God, and they must love him and him alone. How are they to love this God? They are to love him with their whole heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. If you're like me, 
when you hear something like that, um, you think of kind of the different spheres and areas of your life where you operate. Maybe you segregate and put them apart, and you have kind of where your mind operates, where your heart operates, where you obey and walk. So God is calling his people to love him holistically with everything, the heart, emotionally. We can't separate those emotions that God gave us as men and women created in the image of God. He has given us emotions to worship him with our affection. He's also called us to worship him with our soul, with our spirit, to love him. To love him with our mind, to engage the things that he's given us, to understand them, to process them, that they would lead to a greater uh, love and, and understanding of who he is. And he's given us a strength. All of those things should lead to action and obedience. And so God has called us to love him with all of us. God is calling us to love him with our whole being. And so today, I just want us to sit in that for a second because maybe there's some spaces in your life where you've said, God, I, I give you everything, but not this. And, and if, we, if we're holding anything back from God, then we are not loving him. It's all or nothing with God. His demand is that we would love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you're not loving him with everything, then, then you're not loving him. And that's tough. That's weighty for us. Are you loving him with your job? Are you loving him with your family? Are you trusting him in all of these areas? Do you love him with your downtime? Do you love him with your chores? That's tough. How do we love him with our chores? God has given us all of these simple things to do, and all of life should look like love towards a God who is whole, holy, and just. You see, the scripture gives us a, a picture of loving God in Psalm 119. Because when you hear some of this and you see, you hear law, you hear commandments, maybe, maybe you turn off a little bit. But we need to see. God's law and his commandments is something that points to his character and who he is. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and it's all about the law of God and a devotion to that law. Psalm 119.1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. There's something that, that this psalmist has that I want. He sees the, the law of God, the commandments of God, and, he, and instead of hearing that this is restricting, he sees a freedom in them to, to truly love the God of the universe. And so I pray that God would continue to stir that in us today. That when we hear what he's commanded us to do, that it wouldn't be something that, that we would feel like is putting borders on us, but it would feel like something that is giving us life. 
Psalm 119 expresses how we respond, how we should respond to God's law. And so as God gives us commandments, what does love look like? Love for God looks like faith-filled, heartfelt, mind-engaged obedience to his word in all spheres of life. Looks like faith-filled, heartfelt, mind-engaged obedience to his word in all spheres of life. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's an obedience that plays out into every facet of who, facet of who you are. It can't be compartmentalized. It can't be set aside. It's all of your life. This is what God is calling us to. Jesus reiterates this in John 14, 15, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We can make this something that it's not, and we often do. We think that love is this emotional aspect, and that's all it is. That I should just have feelings towards God. But if, that, if those feelings towards God are not being played out in faith-filled obedience, then they're just a feeling and they're not love. Jesus continues as he answers the scribe. So first he tells him, listen, you, you have to know who God is. He is one God. And you have to love that God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he continues on back in Mark 12. Verse 31, the second is like is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. True love for God produces a love for others. As you love who God is, you begin to, to take on his character and love the things that he loves. As you believe in the love of God for you, you begin to love others. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 is helpful in kind of expressing how these two things have to go together. They cannot be separated. And Jesus is saying these two things together because they don't get separated. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, also ought to love one another. When you read that, verse eight, anyone who does not Love does not know God because God is love. It can be very convicting because we can quickly think about this past week. We can remember people that we know we have been called to love and yet we have harbored anger and resentment against them. We haven't forgiven them. We haven't been patient with them. Maybe even in your heart, you, you've hated them. And so if what Jesus is saying is true, that 
loving God has to play out in loving others, then we would have to also say we have not loved God this week. But right love for God, right devotion to God, looks like it's being played out in every area of our lives. Relationship to God and relationship to others. In your marriage, what does that look like? Does it look like serving so that you can be served? Or does it look like serving because you genuinely are laying down your life for your spouse? For your children, are you laying down your life so that they can know and cherish and enjoy Jesus, or are you building a kingdom? It's your job. What, what is the goal of the job? Is the job so that you can uh, ha- be comfortable, so that you can have all of the things you want, or has God strategically placed you in that job to love those around you? When you go to uh, whatever it is that you do for recreation, I am a baseball fan. I love baseball. When you go to the game, do you see it as an opportunity to escape or do you see it as an opportunity to love those that you're sitting next to? Do I see it as a way to escape from, I have five children and it gets a little crazy in our home. Do I see baseball as a way to escape from them or do I see it as a way to be enjoyed with them and to love them? You see, this love that we have for God displays itself in a love for others, and it's, it's got to. Scripture is true. And if we love, then we point to the fact that God is doing something in us, like genuine, true love that we would have for others points to the fact that we are in Christ because no one else can love except for Christ. We're going to get there, but this idea that that love is not circumstantial. We know that all love is faithful and true. When when Paul is describing love in 1 Corinthians 13, he's not saying this, this special love, this extra loving love is, is all of these things. No, he's saying that any love is all of that, that it's patient and kind. And yet we take that and we say, oh, I just need to achieve this better love. And so I just want to challenge us today. And this is where the rubber is going to meet the road a little bit. We cannot love God in and of our own flesh. We cannot love our neighbor despite what culture is saying, despite what everyone around you is saying, that love is this good thing and we should operate and, and, and do it and we should love one another, we should be tolerant, we should just rest in those things, the Bible would say that, that we can't. We cannot love God and we cannot love our neighbor because we have failed. And if you look at your life, you see it over and over. Jesus answers the scribe, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is these two things combined. And the scribe hears it, and I just I want you to see this, because this is beautiful. If any of you have been in school, if any of you are currently going to school, you understand that when something is taught, the way that you know that it's taught is if you can repeat it back, if you can write it on the test, if you can even change it into your own words, man, you're really starting to get it. 
Well, let's look. This is what the scribe says. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. There's beauty there. The scribe heard Jesus. He heard Jesus and it's stirring something in his heart to say, yes, that is true. Like those two things. You boiled down all the 600 and something laws and you said, all I have to do is do these two things. And we hear that and we get really excited because we're like, man, I think I can do two things. I think I can. But we've just walked through those two things that he requires of us and we've seen that we cannot do those two things. Truly, these two commandments sum up the whole law. All of Scripture is given to us so that we would know God and love God and love each other. Knowing God, we would live in obedient love to Him. And that wholehearted love for Him would produce a love, a genuine love, a sacrificial, not self-serving love for others. A love for our neighbor. We are called to love God and love man. And this is what the scribe is saying. You're right. All of the other stuff is, is included in that. But here's the Here's the catch. Knowing the law is not fulfilling the law. Knowing the thing that you should do does not mean that you can go out and do it. If this was a class, the scribe would get an A. He would have an understanding. He would know what the requirement was. He would know what he would need to do. Which is why Jesus responds and says, you are close to the kingdom. Two things. He's close to the kingdom in his understanding. And the reality is that he's physically close to the kingdom of God. Because who is bringing the kingdom of God? Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The king has shown up. That's how we know that the kingdom is here. Because the king is here. The scribe comprehends so well that he even gives it back to Jesus in his own words. He he says that to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, he knows that understanding is this combination of everything. To love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Samuel says that obedience is better than sacrifice. The, the willful, heartfelt obedience is what we, would, what we would say is love for God. But the comprehension of the requirement to enter the kingdom is not the completion of the requirement. The scribe needed to fulfill the law, not only understand it. We need to fulfill the law. 
Not only to say, yes, that's what I need to do. We need to be able to do it, but we can't. We fail over and over. So Jesus is not teaching them, saying, hey, now I've given you, I've boiled it all down to two things, now go and do it. No, he's saying, I'm going to do it. The Jesus that we believe in has gone to the cross, has loved the Father perfectly with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. And he has done that because of his love for humanity, that he would give himself up, that he would drink the the wrath of, of God on our behalf as we have celebrated over these last couple weeks. Remembering the cross, remembering what Jesus has done, And so today's, today's teaching is not so that we would go out and try to do these things, but that we would see the one who has done them. That's what Jesus is saying the whole time. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here. The kingdom's here. Can you see it? Will you believe? Will you repent of trying to do it yourself, and will you trust me? You see, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. Not just teach the law, but to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what we need today in our lives, what we need to go out of this room and do is we need to believe that this is true. We need to see the power of the resurrection raising up Christ in our hearts and in our lives so that we can love God, so that we can love others. Not doing it in in and of ourself or our flesh, but by the power of the Spirit that's within each and every one of us who are in Christ. We see Jesus. We see the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly actually love God in me and in you. We see him actually love our neighbor, and we rest in that. Jesus is the one who has both loved God and humanity fully and completely. We try to take love and separate it from God. We make make it an attribute of God. We make it something that describes God because we know love. And so if we understand love, we can understand who Jesus was. But that's, that's the wrong way to do it. The definition of love in the dictionary should simply say God, because according to 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. And so when we've seen Jesus, and we've seen the way that he responds to people, we've seen the way that he responds to the Father, we're seeing love. Even things that we would say, man, that, I, don't, I don't feel like that was very loving. When he goes in and he begins to flip tables, we're like, that doesn't seem loving. That's not compassionate. That's not kind. No, that is love. It is compassionate and kind because he cares more about the hearts than what's going on in their religious practices. He cares about those that are being taken advantage of in those places. And so he confronts their unrighteousness. And he loves them in the midst of that. 
We do not get to define who Jesus is. Jesus has shown us who he is through his word, and it says that he is love. And so if any love would show up in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and in our actions, it would be Jesus showing up. It would be the resurrected king. Like, I think if we begin to understand that, there's going to be this freedom and this joy that we have when we see, no, I actually loved my wife today. And it wasn't me, it was Jesus. Like, we're going to start to understand that, that the Spirit of God dwelling inside of me goes wherever I go. And I can't compartmentalize, and I can't put this off to the side. No, this is the risen king, and he has chosen his people to dwell in. We often say that we are the body of Christ. We are Christ embodied to the people that need to see it. So, so what do we do then? Like, everybody, we always want to know, okay, what do I do, pastor? What do I, where do I go? What do I need to do in this? How does that take place in my life? The same way that Jesus said it would in the very beginning. Repent and believe. Repent of trying to do it yourself. Repent of thinking that you have a love, and if that love would just get a little better, it would, it would satisfy the law. We can't. But we have one who has perfectly loved. Perfectly loved the Father with his whole heart. You see Jesus and you see his heart towards the Father that he takes great delight in the things that delight the Father. You see Jesus and he, his spirit is connected to the Father. They are Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. And he loves him in spirit and in soul. You see him love him in his mind. He grew up as a, as a, a, a good practicing Jew knowing scripture, which isn't fair. He was there when it was like it's kind of complicated. He was there when it was written, and you're like, that's, that's kind of cheating. But the reality is, he spent time in the Word of God. He loved God's Word, and that's an intellectual, that's a mind thing. But most importantly, he loved God with all of his strength. Maybe not most importantly, but importantly, he loved God with all of his strength. When you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus goes, and he prays, and he's, he's completely devoid of his human strength. He's, he's at his wit's end and he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. That is Jesus loving the Father with all of his strength. All the way to the cross. And so today, we have that love if we are in Christ. I don't understand the physics of it because I know that two things can't be in the same place, but, but God has said that his spirit dwells inside of me, that Christ is in me. Do I believe that? Do I operate out of that? Do I rejoice in that today? Paul knows what he's talking about. In Galatians 2, 20 and 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
Can you hear that? People don't need my love. They need Christ's love. They need Joel to die and Christ to be risen in him so that the life that I live and that you live is no longer our lives, but it is Christ living in us, loving his God and loving others through his people, through his church. And then when we begin to see that, it leads to worship and joy. That's amazing. We should be the most joyful people ever. Because God is doing that. He's faithful. The beauty of this is that it no longer, it never relied on us. It always relied on a faithful God. And he's doing the work. He's turning us into the people who would love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength as, as Jesus is embodied in his church. And he's turning us into a people who would love each other with true, genuine love, with the love of Christ. So this is our hope. The bright shining of the sun through his church. This morning we're called to repent and believe. We're called to repent because we can be apathetic. We can read the word of God and it has no effect on on our thoughts, no effect on our heart, our soul, our mind, or our strength. And so we would ask God, Lord, would you change us? Would you forgive us for not caring about the things that you care about? We would repent. Probably, like me, a lot of us need to repent of trying to do it in and of our own flesh. Of thinking that if I just added enough Jesus, or if I added enough uh, of quiet time, or if I added enough something, that my love would then be better. No, I need to die. I need to be crucified with Christ, and I need Him to live through me. And that's different from fixing ourselves. We need to repent of trying to do it in and of ourselves. And today we need to believe. We need to repent, and we need to believe. Believe that Christ has come. Believe that this Jesus that we're reading about he is the Son of God. He bore our sin to the cross. And in our place, He stood condemned, forsaken by the Father. He died a death that we could not die. In our place. Paid a price that we could not pay. But it didn't end there. Three days later, He rose again. And today, if you see any love in you, it's because Christ has risen from the grave. I think about the kids down the hall who are experiencing the love of Christ. Every one of those is a miracle. They're experiencing the love through some teachers who are giving up their time and, and, and their affections for them. And they're experiencing the resurrected King loving them. That's a miracle. And yet we, we just think, that's what you're supposed to do. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. We are selfish people. We don't know how to love, but Jesus in us is loving those around us. If we could grasp that, we would be joyful. 
we would have great joy. So I pray that we would be that people. That we'd be so enamored with the love of God that when we see it show up in our lives, we'd be like, God, who am I that you would love me so much and that you would go and, and love others through me? And so today, we end with the same verse that we began with. Jesus comes. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, amen? Amen, God, Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that in our weakness, you have um, met us. In our longing, you have met us. God, and even if we've come in with an with a thought that we just need to change and be better. Lord, you met us in that. You've exposed that as a lie. And then you'd offer, you offer truth. That we do not need to be better. We need to die with Christ. We need to be crucified with Christ. We need to give up our control. We need to give up Lordship of our lives to the one who is perfectly holy and loving. Lord, I pray that today, if there's anyone hearing this for the first time, that they would see this not as, as rules and commandments that would take life, but as rules and commandments that would give life, that would point them to a holy God, a loving God, a God who loved them so much that he gave of himself. God, would you do that in us today, Lord? I pray for us here who, are, who have been trying to do this in and of our own strength, out of our flesh. May we surrender today. May we say, God, I, I can't do this, but I know that you can and you, you are. May we stop striving, but may we rest in the righteousness of Christ. May we rest in the power of the resurrection. That you are not dead, you are alive. And that we would see the evidence of that life in the way that we live, in the way that we love our God, in the way that we love our neighbor. God, the story is not about us, it's about you. And so, Lord, I just thank you that that's true. And I pray that we would rejoice in that today. Lord, help us to believe this. Help it to change the way that we live. Yeah, we ask all of these things in your name. In Jesus' precious name, amen.